This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. Be sure to check out and subscribe to my other podcast, Thinking and Doing, where I examine logical fallacy, cognitive bias, stoic teachings, and tips on being better at life. Uh, Before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule, go to the main website at everythingvoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's November 4th, the day after Election Day in the United States. I thought for this episode that I would review some election results, which I have not seen. I totally ignored all of it as best I could yesterday. I have no idea how anything turned out except for one item. I did catch a news story about some propositions that passed in Oregon that decriminalized drugs and also decriminalized the psychedelic psilocybin and allowed for some therapy-based treatment using magic mushrooms. So I'm sure I'll mention that again, but I thought, you know what, let's just sort of do a quick review of some things that are finished here local in Utah, the U.S., some relevant uh, ballots and whatnot from around the country. And then I'll you know, depending on how long that takes, I don't expect it to take long. I'll I'll read some of my two cent posts from from you know a couple of years ago or whenever these were. These are these are the ones going backwards. So okay, all right. Let me probably start local and move outward. So if I go to probably KSL dot com is probably a good local resource to see election results. Yeah, they've got a ticker here at the top for the election results. Okay, Utah. Presidential electorate. Okay, it says national presidential electorate, I guess. Donald Trump sitting at 213. Biden, Joseph Biden is sitting at 225. Of course, uh, you need 270 to win. Um, So I guess they look to be neck and neck, and I'm sure stuff's still being counted all over the place. So let's move down. Utah presidential results. Donald Trump, Mike Pence win Utah 58%. And then it said there's a section here on balance of power, and it's just account for the Senate and account for the House. This is National Senate and National House. Um, it says 47 for Senate, 44 for Democrat, seven vacant. So seven has not been, seven of those have not been completed. So there's still a chance. Uh, two of them are other, and I can't click that. So that's interesting. I wonder if it might be libertarian or something, or socialist or independent if it's. Bernie Sanders. I don't know if he was up for re-election this year. Um, And the House is 179 Democrat, 171 Republican, and 85 still undecided. So that could could go either way as well. 
Okay, so national, presidential, and Congress is still still TBD. Governor of Utah, the Republican won 64%. Spencer Cox and Deidre Henderson, lieutenant governor. Surprise there. Not really. Um, our, okay, so all four of our House seats, of course, were up. U.S. House number four, Ben McAdams, Democrat, beat Burgess Owens, a Republican, 49% to 46%. U.S. House one, Blake Moore, Republican at 68%. U.S. House two, Chris Stewart, Republican, 61%. And U.S. House three, John Curtis at 68%. Okay, so that's uh, governor and the rest is national. There's state, Senate, and House results. I don't really care about that. There's judicial offices. I don't care about that. Here we go. Ballot questions. Okay. It doesn't have any summaries on what these are, and they're not even in order. We got C-A-E-G-B-F-D. That's nice. All right. So I'm going to go over to Utah ballot amendments. Okay. So amendment A is change language in the, the amendment would replace men with persons in the Utah constitution and make other similar changes. So they're Making the U.S. Con- the Utah Constitution genderless, and that passed fifty-eight percent to forty-one percent. See, we're progressive out here in in red state Utah. We're progressive. Okay, uh, Constitutional Amendment B, legislate legislator age requirement. The amendment would clarify the language in the Utah Constitution that the eligibility qualifications required to be elected or appointed to the Utah State House or Utah State Senate apply at the date of election or appointment, not beforehand when the person is running or being considered, and not afterwards when the person assumes office. So the question is when the candidate needs to be 25, and they just need to be 25 um, when they're elected, the date of election or appointment. And let's see, that was B, that passed 80%, okay? Amendment C, remove slavery as punishment for a crime. The amendment would repeal the provision for the Utah Constitution that allows for slavery and involuntary servitude as a criminal punishment. So you might have thought that slavery was abolished in 1865, but it actually was not. Federally, I believe slavery is still in the Constitution, in the same amendment that abolished it, but uh, it limited it to punishment for crime. So it still exists, and of course the Utah Constitution followed that. So Amendment C, 80%. Wow, it says 19% were against it. That's that's your problem right there. <laughs> Those are people that don't don't believe criminals are humans. You commit a crime, you you no longer have any rights and may be used as slaves or cannon fodder or just simply put down. All right, so that's good. Amendment D, municipal water resources. The proposed amendment to the Utah Constitution would allow cities to supply water to neighboring communities, individual consumers, and other others outside of city boundaries. And this is, what did I say, D? D passed 61%. Okay. Amendment E, right to hunt and fish. The amendment would guarantee the right to hunt and fish in the Utah Constitution. State regulations would still apply, and the right would have no effect on trespassing, property rights, or the state's authority over its natural resources. The amendment would also require hunting and fishing to be the preferred means of managing and controlling wildlife. It says a vote for this amendment would provide a constitutional right for Utahns to hunt and fish, protecting but not expanding upon Utahns' current rights. A vote against this amendment would maintain the status quo, but leave open the possibility of future efforts to curtail fishing and hunting rights. Of course, they could always just do another amendment. (laughs) Um, Okay, so that's Amendment E, and that passed 74%. All right? Amendment F, 
legislative session start date. The amendment would allow the Utah State Legislature to set the legislative session start date by statute, removing the constitutional requirement that legislative sessions begin on the fourth Monday in January. The amendment would make no changes to the constitutionally required length of legislative sessions. And that passed 66%. Okay. And finally, Amendment G, expanded use of income tax revenue. The amendment would allow the state of Utah to expand the use of state income tax revenue from the current limitation that it be used for education purposes only to also include support services and programs for children and people with disabilities. So my understanding is that this would expand the use. So Utah State, every every dollar supposedly of Utah state income tax goes towards uh, education purposes, goes towards schools. I don't know if that includes higher education or not. Um, and this would allow the funds to be used for more than schools. So I saw signs in my neighborhood and elsewhere saying, vote no on Amendment G or Proposition G, and let's keep our schools, right? The, the signs made it sound like schools were going to suffer if you vote for Amendment G. And it looks like 53%, it passed. So 53% voted for it. So that was a close one. That was the closest one. Yeah, 53 to, to 46. Um, and and obviously, there's a limited number of funds, right? The, click, the state only collects so much revenue through income tax. And now educational um, uses have to share that with services and programs for children and people with disabilities. So like people had these signs saying, protect our schools. But it's like, well, what's the alternative? What's the trade-off? Fuck fuck people, children and people with disabilities, right? You know, and the science didn't say anything about that. So this was, this was probably a tough one for a lot of people, but it looked, looked like it passed. And now educational uses have to share the revenue with other uses. So, which means, I guess that would mean, my guess is that educational uses would have a smaller share. Funds are going down, which, you know, for me, great. Pull your kid out of school, stop sending him to government schools, and that's no longer your problem. You know, obviously not, not everybody can do that or not everybody wants to do that. Okay. All right. That's, that's going to be it for that. Then there was uh, county offices and school board and blah, blah, blah. Okay. That'll do it for the local stuff and I guess some national stuff. Let's, um, let me see if I can find a single source to track some of the libertarian-based issues from around the country. Uh, let me start, I guess, with uh, reason.com. Let's see if they've got a source. Okay, they've just they've got a category called election 2020, so I'm just going to go through some of those re- recent headlines and see what we see. Okay, there's the first one. Montana becomes a 15th state to legalize marijuana. The ballot initiative allows recreational consumers to grow their own or buy cannabis from state licensed stores. Recreational. 15th state for recreational. God, that's amazing. Uh, libertarian candidate Marshall Burt wins Wyoming state house race. Okay. Um, ooh. California voters embrace Uber and Lyft while rejecting rent control and affirmative action. Let me dig into that one because I was interested in this one because California passed um, the union-driven Assembly Bill 5 last year that turned all independent contractors like um, freelance journalists and writers as well as um, rideshare drivers and food delivery drivers like myself into employees which significantly increased or decreased the autonomy that these people have and increased the control over them by uh, companies, you know, through, through this desi- through this coercive designation by the state. 
And I guess um, California had Proposition 22, which will allow ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft and food delivery services like Grubhub to continue to classify drivers as independent workers. And it says with 55% of the vote counted, voters are approving Prop 22 by 57%. Wow, so only half the votes have been counted and they're calling it. That's interesting. The proposition to expand the use of rent control, I guess, failed. So that's good. Uh, Prop 17, which restores the rights of felons to vote when they're released on parole, is also getting likely getting passed. It's got 60% approval. Proposition 25, which would replace cash bail across the state with a risk assessment system, is losing right now. More than 54% of voters have said no, with 55% of the votes counted. Okay, let's back away from California. South Dakota voters legalize medical and recreational marijuana. It's the first state to do both at the same time. Oregon, Oregon, I don't say Oregon, I don't know why I did that. Oregon, Oregon, becomes the first state to decriminalize use of all drugs. The initiative makes non-commercial possession of non-commercial possession of controlled substances a citable offense punishable by a $100 fine. <laughs> so as long as... <laughs> As long as you're selling it, I guess you're okay. <laughs> That's weird. Um, I'm sure there's more to that story, but whatever, it's fine. Oregon becomes the first state to legalize psilocybin. The ballot initiative allows adults to use the promising psychedelic at state-licensed psilocybin service centers. Arizona voters approve marijuana legalization. The initiative makes Arizona the 13th state to allow recreational use. Mississippi voters approve medical use of cannabis. Mississippi is the 34th state and the second in the Deep South to recognize marijuana as a medicine. D.C. voters tell cops and prosecutors to leave psychedelic users alone. The ballot measure applies to non-commercial production, distribution, and possession of ethiogenic plants and fungi. New Jersey voters overwhelmingly approve marijuana legalization. The constitutional amendment charges state legislators and regulators with writing specific rules. So I'm sure that's going to go over well. Okay, that's it as far as this resource. I'm not going to go into any bit more. One thing that should be noted is anytime something like um, marijuana becoming legalized or psychedelics or drugs becoming decriminalized, it should be noted and pointed out to people, to normies, that these are libertarian measures. These are libertarian wins, if you will. Anytime the state's state coercion is reduced and liberty is increased, even if it's not perfectly all the way. It's reduced from its current point and made less. If it's lessened, that is a libertarian win. QED. Right? That's what libertarian means. Increasing liberty, reducing coercion by government. So when these things happen, they're libertarian wins and they should be identified as libertarian wins. They should be they should be identified as such. Right, we could say who knew or, or can't even say it now. Aragorn, Oregon was so libertarian. Look what they did, and of course, all the progressives and left-wing radicals and nut jobs in Oregon's heads would explode if that's how it was identified. But it's what it is, and that's how it should be identified. All right, we're probably about I don't know, fifteen minutes into this, so let's let's read some two cents. I've got three of them here, and I'll link I'll link to the election twenty twenty. Um, tag. I'm sure they'll be adding to this as time goes on. I'm not going to return to it, but I'll link it there. Okay, here's the first one. It's on government failures. This was written September 11th, 2018. Unhappy government failure day. 
Let us never forget the group of people who call themselves government failed their supposed charter to protect Americans on 9-11. This same group of people then launched two heretofore endless wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, profiting nobody except themselves and their corporate war racketeering partners. The same group of people then granted themselves even more power over and plunder from Americans. When these people fail, it is, a never, it is never a reason to remove their power, but always justification for more power and plunder. These same people who bristically tell us they have the knowledge and resources to keep us safe from the boogeymen they have either failed to detect or partnered with in their quest for global hegemony. Tell me, who's the bigger threat to my life, liberty, and property if not these fuck-ups who erroneously and maniacally believe they have the right and capability to rule the world? All right, it's interesting that, that this comes up now because I've been thinking a lot lately about government failure. All right, there's a lot of government failure happening right now. Okay, the, the more divided the country gets, the bigger, the bigger the failure of government, right? Government is supposed to engender trust and unity, right? That's what it's supposed to do. Trust in itself and unity among its constituents, right? That's, that's the theory. That's the mythos, I guess we could say, the ethos of government. And if, if, if its constituents are becoming nastier to one another, that's a failure by government to do what it's supposed to do. So when, when government takes more power into itself and exercises more coercion against its constituency, this has had the effect of pitting neighbor against neighbor, town against town, state against state. Doing this is government failure. Now, it may ultimately, and it probably does ultimately, serve the government, right? This is the government not failing its true purpose as an institution of plunder, as a criminal organization, as legal mafia, because these sorts of, uh, in, this sort of infighting and disunity and mistrust usually serves to increase government power. So it's not failing in that regard. It's failing, like I said, it's mythos and it's ethos, what people believe it should be. It's failing. Now, I'm enlightened. I'm an enlightened libertarian anarchist. So I know that that's not its true purpose. I know that it's, it's an institution of plunder and predation. I know that. Normies, most people don't know that. They, they believe in the myth of government, right? And therefore, they believe in the, in the ethics of government, what it should be. And by that standard, it is an absolute failure from top to bottom, vertically, horizontally, across the board, in this country, and pretty much every other country on earth. And I don't think there should be any end to pointing this out. Wow, this bad thing happened under the government's watch? That's a government failure. Unfortunately, that, that backfires. Okay, the lesson, the government has failed. Let's reduce its power, get it out of the way. Let's use alternative institutions to fix this problem is not the lesson that is received. The lesson is that's received, of course, helped by people in government and its collaborators, is that it should be given more money and more power to do it right. That's the lesson that's manufactured, we'll say, instead of the correct lesson, and so it goes. It gets more money, it gets more power, and it creates more failures. <laughs> So never forget, 9-11 was government failure day, one of the more obvious examples of that, and that should always be called that. All right, next one, antinatalism. 
I recently discussed antinatalism, the belief that it is morally wrong to procreate. While I do not consider myself an antinatalist on the grounds that it is always morally wrong to procreate, I would caution would-be parents not to procreate under several specific circumstances. These circumstances are when there is a virtual, when there is virtually a guarantee that their child will be traumatized. The first circumstance that qualifies are when one or both of the parents have not yet dealt, dealt with their own childhood trauma. Broken parents do not make good parents if being a good parent means not repeating the cycle of trauma. I believe it is. Other circumstances that qualify include parents held hostage by a communist regime, parents in bondage, and parents who live in an area guaranteed to be bombed by predator drones. It just seems both foolish and cruel to bring a child into this world under these sorts of circumstances. All right, so that's that. The antinatalist would say it is always, because life entails some suffering, right? And I, I, I agree with this, right? This is, this is my personal motto. It's on my website, SkylarJCollins.com, right at the top. It says, life is shit and rainbows. And it has a rainbow with a little piece of shit sliding down it. If you've never seen my personal website, SkylarJCollins.com, go check it out. It's just a little, a little HQ for links to my, my writings and my podcast. And it has a feed of my, my recent content. Just a little HQ. But that's, that's been my motto. If you go to my Facebook page, my Twitter, I have that same background. It's a, it's a really cool picture of this rainbow with a, a cute little piece of shit character who's just a, a piece of shit, piece of poop, sliding down. And he's smiling. He's having a good time. And that represents life to me. So yeah, there is suffering in life. And these antinatalists say that because life entails some suffering, it's, it's immoral or unethical to procreate, to bring, to create new life into this world. I only agree with that part way. And that's when life is absolutely guaranteed to be nothing but suffering. It's probably wrong to introduce and to bring kids into that world. So if you, you know, if you live in North Korea, you know, you probably shouldn't have kids. If you're slaves, you probably shouldn't have kids. Slave master's going to claim ownership of them and take them off, and they're going to live a life of slavery anyway, right? Of course, you may not have a choice in that. You may be coerced into producing kids. I'm sure that happens. Um, if you live in an area that's currently a war zone, you probably should try not to get pregnant. In the meantime, you know, in the meantime, when things improve or you get out of there, you know, you can start a life. Fantastic. And then the first thing I mentioned is that if you have unresolved trauma, okay, if you, if you think and you have the urge to hit your kids, you think that's how you were raised and that's what you're going to do, then you have unresolved trauma. You may not realize it, but you do. You need, to, you need to work that shit out first before you bring kids into this world and then start hitting them. All right, let's go on to the last one here on government parasitism. A clever, and this is from also from September 2018, that last one was too. I used to write these like every day. I used to do one. Now I'm podcasting every day. <laughs> and I'm not writing nearly as much as I used to. I don't know. I just feel like I wanted to sit here in front of the microphone and just stream of consciousness about this stuff rather than sit down and try to craft something. Okay, it goes, a clever and effective parasite will not only feed on its host as long as possible, but will do so in such a way that removing it will be fatal. As long as the parasite can stretch its tendrils into the most vulnerable organs of its host, the host will be forced to sustain it if it wants to remain alive. The analogy that government is a parasite is oft made by libertarian types, and for very good reason. The most clever and effective governments are those who stretch their tendrils into every part of society in such a way that removing them is perceived as exceedingly dangerous and deadly. A few examples of these parasitic tendrils are central banking, 
foreign military interventionism, public schooling, the welfare state, retirement savings, consumer and employee safety regulations, and occupational licensing. Can this government parasite ever be removed? Probably not without causing its host some degree of pain and suffering. I suppose all the host can do is either wait for the parasite to engorge itself to the point of suicide or find ways of making each of its many tendrils ineffective through obsolescence. All right, I thought this analogy was just absolutely spot on, right? That's what parasites do. They get into everything and they, they I guess something you would add to this that doesn't quite fit the analogy is they also try to hide themselves, right? Some parasites take too much and they end up killing their host sooner rather than later. Others, it's, it's a much slower burn and they survive for much longer. I guess that's, that's more, that, that better fits the analogy. Of course, there are governments that are quick to kill the host because of the foolishness of the policies they enact. But just, just take the United States federal government. It's been around now probably longer than, other than the monarchies in Europe, probably longer than any other government. Now, you might say there were coups and there were different versions of it popping up along the way. And maybe we're in our fifth government or something like that. I've seen, it's been a while, but I've seen interesting articles to that effect. Right, like, like for example, the nature of the Federal Reuse Union changed significantly at the Civil War. When Abraham Lincoln decided to use force and violence and war to keep the southern states from seceding, from divorcing the nation like a, like a, like a battering husband, that changed the nature of the federal government, and therefore it started over. Right, That's an argument that could be made, I think. Maybe with every constitutional amendment, the government changes significantly, in some cases, quite significantly, income tax, right? And maybe that restarts it, starts a new government. I don't know. These, these arguments can be made, but whatever. It seems, it seems like we have this two, 200 plus, two, 230, something like that year history of the U.S. federal government, and it's, it's mostly based on what it was then. Okay. And over that time period, it has slowly stretched its tendrils into different aspects of our lives. And it did so very slowly, right? It was, uh, it did it slowly enough that it was asked for and celebrated bit by bit. And there were radicals at the time and people at the time saying, this is a very bad idea. This is a slippery slope. And it turned out all of them were right. In every case, it was a slippery slope. Power became greater. Requirements became more onerous. and the federal government is, has taken and taken and taken. But it's, it's made a critical mistake along the way. It's gotten very greedy, right? And we see this with, with budget deficits, with national debt, with inflation. It's, it's mistakes are starting to really become apparent and will soon become quite consequential, I'm sure. It might not survive. And the only question is, Will it the host, us, right, the body politic, the American people, will we survive or will we perish along with it? Time will tell. But I, I thought this was a really good analogy. Government is, in, in my opinion, absolutely like a parasite, among among other things. All right, that's going to do it. We looked at election results, some, some pretty cool results, I guess, some libertarian results in, in regards to marijuana and other drugs, at least there in Oregon. I'm also happy to see Proposition 22 in California be defeated, and, and which pushes the independent contractor designation back to gig work, like, like what I'm involved in here in Utah. 
we talked about government failure. We talked about antinatalism, and we talked about government as parasite. All right, that's going to do it. Please remember, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, and don't ask permission. Nobody has a right to nobody has a right to 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 demand that you ask them permission to do what you want to do with yourself and your property. Be pragmatic. If you can get away with not asking permission, don't ask permission, right? Stay safe. Uh, thank you so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EVC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.